Earlier this week, I was recording a podcast, and we were talking about the Sunday Scriptures. And Jeff, one of the hosts, asked me right at the beginning, and I don't remember what I said, but if you want to look it up, it's called All Set for Sunday. It's a great little podcast. And uh, he asked me at the very beginning, you know, Father, if I acted as if I didn't have a wife, my wife would not take that very well. And it's that reminder, the challenge of the Word of God for us, that when we open up Scripture, it challenges us in ways that we're not really comfortable with. What does that mean? Here he is, a, a guy with a wife and three young kids. What does it mean to for those, let those having wives act as not having them, as St. Paul says in the second reading from the first letter to the Corinthians? But if we look at that Scripture passage a little more closely, we see right after that, act, let those weeping act as not weeping. So it would seem that St. Paul presents to us, in one hand, the height of human creation, right? The love of husband and wife for one another. And on the next, he presents kind of the worst thing. We tend not to, uh, you know, connect weeping with good things, right? But marriage should be, and sometimes it isn't, but that's the, you know, the challenge there, right? He's challenging us. And then at the very end, we get this passage, for the world in its present form is passing away. Just as marriages change, just as weeping changes, we're not always weeping, hopefully, so too does the world change. And so too, therefore, must we. If the world is changing, and it is, it's a world, the world is in constant change, the physical world around us. As both physical and spiritual beings, we too must always be changing, opening our hearts, minds, and lives to what the Lord is putting in front of us striving after new things, building upon the great things in our life. When, for instance, we look to the sacrament of holy matrimony, a husband and wife should love each other more as the marriage grows. They should change. They should develop and work together to build that wonderful community, that first church, the church of the home. But we recognize also that it's never convenient or easy to change. Moments of change are common in our life, but sometimes we don't even perceive the change going on in our life. Sometimes we actively resist the change that we are being called to undertake. And yet we are called again and again and again to change in the physical world, but also in our relationship with Christ. To follow Jesus is to commit ourselves, body and soul, to change, to conversion, continually. It never ends. Yes, we get the one meaningful, purposeful, uh, essential conversion in baptism. Yes, that is beautiful. But we are called as a result of that to constantly turn our lives with and toward the Lord. And I would posit that because of our lack of stability right now, because the world is so uncertain, because the future and what is in front of us is so unknowable because of the pandemic, because of all the challenges and grief and the difficulties we have all experienced in one way, shape, or form this last year, I am going to argue that now is the ideal time for each and every one of you to give your life more fully to Christ and for us as a parish and as a church to change, to be converted, 
to open our hearts and minds and souls to new ways and ideas, building upon, yes, the good things that the Lord has given, but going forward in new directions. Jesus, when he calls the apostle Peter, apostles Peter and Andrew in the gospel today, meets them where they are, they're fishing, and he says, I will now make you fishers of men. I'm going to use those gifts and talents that have led you to where you are for something new and more beautiful and powerful. In other words, Jesus built his church by starting with particular relationships, by investing heavily and deeply into the few. And when he saw the apostles on their boats and he called them, he saw you and me too. And he loved you and me. He called them so that he could call you and me to be with them, to follow after Jesus. But... Brothers and sisters, we know this in a way. We wouldn't be at Mass if we weren't open in one way, shape, or form to conversion or renewal. But how are you going to respond to this call? And in our first reading, we get a great juxtaposition of the response to God's call. We get Jonah here going into Nineveh, so happy and excited to preach the good news. But we know, like, when we think of Jonah, what do we think of? Jonah in the belly of the whale. We don't get that story here. But in the first couple chapters, it's only a five-chapter book, of this book, Jonah deliberately rejects and flees from God's word. God calls him, Jonah, go preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah flees. He gets in a boat to go to another country. And the storm comes, and the, 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 the guys on the boat are trying to figure out what's going on, and they figure, well, it's Jonah's fault, and they throw him over the boat, over into the water, and the seas calm down, and the fish gets Jonah, and the fish spits Jonah up on the sea, and Jonah is still mad. He still doesn't want to do it, and he goes begrudgingly. And then he preaches, and in one day, a whole city converts, a whole city of pagans. But Jonah's still a stubborn cuss, and he doesn't like that. He doesn't like the fact that these people responded to his word, but the others didn't the people that he knew. Jonah's heart was hardened, but this is the beauty of God's word, right? Is that when it's spoken, when it's preached, truly, even if I don't believe it, even if I'm a stubborn, you know what? God's word changes hearts, minds, and souls. And then we have the other side of it, right? The Ninevites who hear that word, who hear that word of repentance and conversion, and everything changes for them in that moment. The same thing happens in the gospel. They drop their nets, they leave their father and follow Jesus. Now we know, because we know the story of the gospel, that the rest of the gospel story is essentially the apostles completely misunderstanding Jesus and in his hour of greatest need, abandoning him. And yet, what does God do? He rises from the dead, and where does he go first? To the apostles. God is constantly calling us, constantly sending out his word to us because he knows our weaknesses, our brokenness, our vulnerability. And yet he walks along the shore of our hearts. He calls us. He invites us. You know, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've been aware of this, but in the last month or so, Pope Francis has released a new encyclical for Tutti on human fraternity and the call and the need that we have for that. He has also released a book called Let Us Dream. In the midst of the pandemic, our Holy Father releases a book called Let Us Dream. You would think, oh, it should be like, woe is us. But his whole purpose of this book is to say, look, we have seen and we look at the world around us and see the division and the tension and the pandemic has acted like a catalyst on those. As disciples of Jesus, we have a particular response to that. And he says this, 
This is a time to recover values in the proper sense of the word, to, what, to return to what is authentically worthwhile, the value of life, nature, and the dignity of the person, of work, of relationship. All these are values to human life which cannot be traded away or sacrificed. It amazes me when I hear people talk of non-negotiable values. All true values, human values, are non-negotiable. Can I say all... Can I say which of the fingers of my hand have more value than the others? If it is of value, it has a value that cannot be negotiated. He's challenging us and encouraging us to return to those values of what make life good, beautiful, and true. But then he's also challenging us and calling us to discern what then, therefore, is my response to it. What is the Spirit telling us? What is the grace on offer here if we can only embrace it? And what are the obstacles and temptations? What humanizes, dehumanizes? Where is the good news hidden within the somber news? And where is the bad spirit dressed as an angel of light? These are the questions for those who humbly search and listen, who are willing not just to grasp and answers, but to reflect and pray. He continues, the voice of God never imposes, but proposes. And whereas the enemy is strident, insistent, and even monotonous. God is in our midst. His word is being spoken. Are you listening? And what does that lead to? Jesus, Saint Bar, Pope Francis says, did not found the church as a citadel of purity, nor as a constant parade of heroes and saints, although, thank God, we do not lack these. It is something much more dynamic, a school of conversion a place of spiritual combat and discernment where grace abounds along with sin and temptation. So not only is the Holy Father and the Holy Spirit in a way calling us to look at our own lives, to open our own hearts to conversion, we also have to look at what does that mean for the communities in which we live, for our friendships and families. What does that mean for our parish, the archdiocese, the church, the world? And brothers and sisters, I ask us, let us dream. Let us dream of what we can do, what we can, how we can respond positively, proactively, beautifully to the opportunities that are in front of us. We have as a parish here a sacred responsibility to this community, to each other, and in particular to the students of Indiana University. How do we work together to build upon what has led us here to create and to walk with the Holy Spirit into something that is new? To use the gifts and talents that we have and just like the apostles to go forward and put them into use to bringing more and more souls to Christ. To loving and building and making a better community through our relationships and our friendships. Through leading with our values and principles and sharing those with the world, even if we never name the name of Jesus. We have in front of us this opportunity. Jesus says in the Gospel, this is the time of fulfillment. When Jesus speaks, he speaks in eternity. His voice is, as St. Augustine calls it, ever ancient and ever new. He speaks to you and to me right now. This as crazy as it may seem, is the time of fulfillment. The time for each and every one of us 
to drop those things that are keeping us from Jesus, that we're putting ahead of our faith, to drop those nets, to get out of the boat, and to follow him. Recognizing full well that conversion is difficult. The Greek word here for repent is metanoiate, which means you have to have your mind changed. It's not just change your behavior, it's change the way you think. And if we know anything by looking at the world around us, people entrench their interests, they don't open their hearts to new ways of thinking. But this is what the Lord is calling us to. And this is that time. Now is a difficult time, absolutely. But it's a time to dream, a time to hope, a time to follow Jesus.